Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, August 21st, we are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 7. In today's text, Solomon recognizes that no guaranteed outcomes are promised in this life under the sun, even as he sees that wisdom has the advantage over folly. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Andrew Belt. Pastor Belt serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Great to be here with you again. So we get started today, Pastor. Give us some context on the book of Ecclesiastes. What should we know about this book, what Solomon's been up to as we prepare to look at this section today? Well, I don't know. That would be kind of vain, maybe, to do such a thing. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I always, as you read Ecclesiastes, and I've had people say this before, but uh, they sometimes don't like the book, um, or it, it makes them realize, I, I think, maybe the, uh, oh, I think this book is right, and I don't want to face that. Um, but this book helps us give us a healthy realism of what's going on uh, in our world. You know, I, I think the, the book itself says it really well, that God has put eternity into man's hearts. Um, and when we are frustrated by, as we look out at the world and we don't see that, it's a reminder that we're not there yet. Um, that, this is, that this place, because of sin and the corruption and everything, it's not what it should be. And, and so we should have a healthy realism, what to expect in a world that's now fallen, a life under the sun, as it may be. And we're not going to find ultimate meaning here. We're not going to find, you know, purpose here. Uh, we're going to catch hints of it. We're going to catch, uh, perhaps, you know, the word for vanity there is that hevel word, uh, the, the smoke. You know, it, you can't grasp it, right? When you grab smoke, it just goes right through your fingers. Uh, maybe we would see what, you know, Hebrews would say, a shadow of what is to come. Um, so it's not that life doesn't have meaning, uh, but it's, it can't be discerned by us, at least here. And I think you can kind of catch what the book here is trying to get after in the early chapters of Genesis, uh, because who is it that settles down, builds cities, uh, creates culture? It's not Seth and his line. It's Cain and his line, right? They, they settle down for life here. Uh, but Seth and his children, right, this, they're waiting for the city that is to come that's built by God. And so Solomon here, he's describing what it is to live in this world that is fallen, it's corrupted, um, it's not as it should be. And, uh, and he, he gives pointers in life about, you know, wisdom is the best way to live even when it doesn't work out. Uh, you know, for him, truth matters over the, that practicality of it all. Um, and ultimately, this, this book is going to drive us home because Solomon is all about wisdom, right? This is wisdom literature. Um, which is both a tool for how to live life, but ultimately wisdom is a personified, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So this book is all about Christ our Lord um, and a life that we live under trust with Him. Hmm. 
Talk a little bit more about wisdom as Solomon gives it in Ecclesiastes, but also as it interacts with the book of Proverbs. We've talked about this yeah. in a couple places. It's something that intrigues me, and I, I wish I had put these two books side by side. I need to go back and listen to Proverbs again, but, but talk a little bit about that conversation that happens between these two books. You know, part of the wisdom literature and the wisdom literature as we see it in the scripture, there's, there's many places. Some of the Psalms do it, but primarily there's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs even has a, a lot of the wisdom themes playing out there. Um, and the book of Job, right? That's a huge wisdom book. And, and how I've always kind of <clears throat> seen it and been described before is that Proverbs gives us that kind of cause and effect relationship. You do this, this happens. This is God has built the world. He's built it with wisdom. Um, and, you know, and wisdom is Christ, uh, the Son of God. And therefore, we can expect how things are going to play out. Um, but then Ecclesiastes kind of comes along and says, oh, you think so, huh? And uh, let me tell you, right? And we're going to get that a little bit in our text today, right? That there's time and there's chance. You might do the right thing. You might do X, expecting Y, and it doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, so kind of Ecclesiastes helps us kind of wrestle with the fact that, yeah, cause and, we know cause and effect. Yeah, we know that this is how it should be, but that doesn't how it always plays out. And uh, then I always love uh, the book of Job. You could say that the book of Job, after reading um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the book of Job is the, the test case, as it were. Because you have a righteous man who does X and you know, Y happens. And then all of a sudden, you can say that chance happens to him one day, um, even though we know what's going on in, in, the, in the heavenly realm. And all of a sudden, he suffers and he does this. And it brings about, you know, Y um, and so the book of Job kind of helps us play this out. So, uh, and at the end, what does Job do? He fears God, which is wisdom, and uh, he repents, and God restores him. Uh, so, we, as we can kind of see in the wisdom literature, it's helping us to see the greater reality of life, the kind of what we should do as God's children, as as creatures, and no matter what, whether it works out or not, even the book of Ecclesiastes will say it: um, to fear God and obey His commandments. And uh, when we, what is God's commandments to believe in his only begotten son, we could say. So, yeah. 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 I mean, Ecclesiastes in that sense invites us then to live by faith, not by sight. If, because if we do live by sight, and it seems like that's maybe part of the, the test case that Solomon either has gone through himself or he you know, imagines as he's seen it all, if we try to go through life by sight, then we come to the conclusion that it is vanity. It's meaningless. Yeah. It's this vapor smoke that can't be grasped. It's only with faith, with fear in the true God, that there is that meaning, something that's more than just this life under the sun. Right. Yeah. So we take a look now at the text. This is Ecclesiastes 9, beginning at verse 11 and going into chapter 10 as well. Solomon writes, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. 
the words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. That is our text for today. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 7. So, Pastor Belt, take us into verse 11. Solomon gives a lot of examples where you expect the swift to win the race or the strong to win the battle, but he says that doesn't always happen because time and chance rather happen to all. What's he saying? Yeah, you can't nail down life. <clears throat> you can't predict it. You, uh, you, we're not the masters of it. We, we would maybe say, right, that there, there is someone over it who sees uh, what's before him and he decides, and, you know, that's God. Uh, and then we see this all the time, even common stories, right? Uh, the, the, the tortoise beats the hare um, in that famous account, right? Uh, uh, we can see, you know, Goliath does not triumph over David. Um, the Lord Jesus, he says of himself, right, he doesn't have any place to lay his head. The, the one who is the maker of all uh, doesn't have a... a spot to call home at night. Um, you know, Solomon, I always think uh, reading Ecclesiastes, perhaps as an aside here, that uh, you know, Solomon often reflects upon, you know, the people coming after those who die, you know, and they're going to get all this stuff and what are they going to do with it? Um, I often think that Solomon's looking at his son Rehoboam and thinking, oh boy, this guy's going to, you know, destroy the kingdom. And, uh, and he does. You know, uh, you know, Van Gogh here, he doesn't sell most of his paintings in his lifetime, right? Though he's a talented painter. And, you know, it, this just tells us that Solomon, there's, there's just time and chance, and we can't nail it down. We can't say this is what's going to happen. And, and how often do we see that even in our own, uh, or the best predictors, you know, the economists or, or people plotting this is what's going to happen this year and that. And a few things might occur, but it might not happen in the way they're thinking, or it doesn't occur at all. And, uh, and it's frustrating, I think, at times. You know, even the, you know, the weather, we can't even predict that. So we can't even predict even the most simple things in life. Um, and we're left kind of uh, in a stance that we're dependent. And I, I think that's a good reality to live in as well. We're creatures who are dependent upon someone else. We, we can't self-make ourselves, um, and, and therefore we can't, you know, as James would say, don't say today or tomorrow we'll go into this or that city or sell this, but if it is the Lord's will, we will do these things. And that's a heart of wisdom as well, which Solomon here is trying to, to cultivate. Um, stop trying to plan out A to B to C, right? And just as God gives, receive and enjoy that. Um, and that's a little bit what's in the background here as well. When he's listing, uh, you know, the, the race is not to the fastest one. Battle doesn't always go to the strongest, uh, nor bread to the wisest. You know, it's, he's listing all these things as examples for, for that. So talk about when he says time and chance happen to them all, especially the word chance, I think it may make us a little uncomfortable as Christians because we know that the Lord is, I mean, God's providence, this is one of the, the articles of, of doctrine. What does he mean, time and chance? How do we understand that as Christians? Yeah, I, and I think that's a good thing to wrestle with, uh, chance. Uh, we have a God who is over all, 
and yet it, it appears at times that random events happen. In my town, just in the last week, we had a, a terrible car accident for a youth that was in the car who, who died. And, uh, you know, what an unfortunate situation. And, and, and as I was reading the obituary, um, a, a lot was saying that this uh, it, almost unfair. It was a chance, but a lovely person who was snuffed out in the world and things like that. And it, it's a horrible thing. And, and how can this happen? How can this be part of God's plan? You know, how, how does chance work out here? Um, and then I think this goes into what we've already said already today is faith, right? Uh, there is something that overcomes fate, um, and that is faith. Uh, you know, what conquers, you know, St. John would write in his first letter, right? Our faith has conquered. Um, the faith in the only begotten Son of God. We can see that with Jesus, right? A, a seemingly uh, horrible set of chance, right? But yet this is God's foreknowledge and plan also working out, and it raised him from the dead. Um, there's a Latin motto that I always kind of uh, enjoy. It's the victrix fortunae virtus, um, and it's the victory favors the virtuous, uh, or meaning that there is a victor over fate. And uh, for us here, Solomon, he's going to ask us and help us to see that he would prefer us to be wise, even though it's vain, because God has the ends in his control. So, Kind of as we look at things, I, I want to say this is Bill Geertz who kind of gets into this thought, um, that, you know, as we look at everything, that God has the ends in his control, right? He has the final outcome in his hand, regardless of what path happens in life to get there. Um, and we have the means in ours. God has given kind of that freedom in his creation that the means are in our control. So you can live a certain way. Um, you can be a certain way. Um, but yet the ends are always going to play out because that's what's in God's control. Um, so we see that in our Lord Jesus, right? He is faithful. Um, you want to talk about someone who lives by faith and, and not by sight. It's our Lord Jesus Christ who goes through this life trusting in his God. And even when he's on the cross, Jesus stays true to his father. And his father does reward him in the end by raising him from the dead, right? His faith is justified, vindicated um, in the resurrection uh, because Jesus knows that the ends are in the Father's control. Um, so as we live right in time and chance, chance could happen. Uh, you know, something terrible could happen. Something great could happen today that I'm not foreseeing. Um, and no matter what happens, whatever what chance happens, I will trust God knowing that the ends are in his control um, and that he has me in his hands too. Well, and I think even the matter of, of chance ends up being in God's control and in his hands as well. Everything that happens along the way to the outcome is also in God's hands. And I think, you know, when, he, when Solomon says here, time and chance happen to them all, it's important that we keep in mind he is talking again about this life under the sun. So this is what is observable to the human eyes. In, in our, you use the word limited, several, and dependent, I think, another good word that, that has been used several points along this series. In our limited, dependent state as human creatures, when we look at things, it does look like time and chance, and, and that's it. However, we also know that, and this is where I think that word time is important, especially in the context of this book, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a time for everything. There's a season for everything under heaven. So that even, even that matter of chance, even though in our limited dependent state as God's creatures and we can't see it, that still is a part of, of God being in control. 
and you know, from our perspective here, maybe sometimes it looks meaningless, but again, when we when we live by faith, that's where we do see that no God is actually at work in some way, even if I don't know how. And I think that's maybe how to at least that's how I grapple with that time yeah. and, and chance. And I think uh, that works well with the book of Job at the end. You're talking about the test case here for this. Um, at the end, when God comes and confronts Job, right? One, he kind of comes and says, Job, I'm God. Look at all of this. I got this all under control to you. And, and Job has to kind of say, a squeak out a no. Um, and, and I think that's helpful for us, that God is bigger, if you want to use that kind of term, right? That he sees all of these things. He's working out everything. Um, and while I and my limited view, I can see one part of the parade, as it were, um, I don't see how this is all going to go. I see it in the moment, but God sees the whole totality of it all, um, and he's achieving his ends. Um, yeah. That's what makes him wise, and that's what makes wisdom then fearing him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So take us now into, into verse 12. So again, the outcome's not guaranteed, and as Solomon loves to do, he then carries it all the way, because, you know, you don't even know when you're going to die. He, he takes it down to death. That's that's where he's taken it several times in this book. Help us in verse 12. Yeah, um, right? It, you don't know when the day will s- spring upon you, right? You don't know when when death will take you. It's kind of, you know, it does for many in this life, it comes upon them suddenly, right? Uh, there are some who come and they live their whole life, but uh, just as the example that I referred to, right, someone who just died in a, a car accident, um, it just seems sudden. You know, if I woke up this morning, I wouldn't think, oh, tonight, this is it. This is my last day. Um, Being wise, though, helps us see that. And Solomon wants us to keep track of life here under the sun. Um, And Psalm 90 even goes into the same idea of wisdom, right? That um, God help us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. This is not a fatalist or a nihilistic or it doesn't matter. Um, This is a Today has been given to us. It could end today. You know, the, the account needs to be drawn up, and the master requires an account of us. And it could be today. Uh, or the rich, uh, the, the rich fool in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, right, who builds bigger barns, and God's like, you fool, today your life is, is demanded of you. Um, you know, to know that this could be the last day. This is, could be my last day on this earth. It's sobering, but it helps us live rightly. Um, and it helps us to prepare for what truly is important, uh, and that is God. That is eternity. That's being thankful for what God gives. You know, that's our small catechism that God gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, but we ask that we would, you know, realize this and receive daily bread with thanksgiving. Um, and so to know that God doesn't just give this haphazardly, but he gives it generously. And if we just go through life, you know, like a cow looking at a new barn door, we're going to miss what God is giving, and we're not going to live rightly in terms of God, nor will we live rightly in the world loving our neighbor. Um, and so this helps us also to repent and seek first the kingdom and having all these things being granted to you. You know, St. Paul would probably put it as a, the, the days are evil. Uh, today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's don't wait. So the sooner that we as Christians learn this, as we hear Solomon say that, you know, the, the evil day could snatch upon you suddenly like a trap, uh, the better that we realize that, the better that we're actually going to live now. And um, we're not going to be so complaining or, or whining about it too, because we recognize, ah, that's what life is here under the sun. And yet we wait for a better city, uh, a city that is to come that Jesus has prepared us for. Um, so this helps us to trust God. It helps us to live wisely, and it helps us to love our neighbor when we recognize this. 
Yeah, and the the two images that Solomon used, I think when you understand them in the light of what you've just said, this repentance, you know, rightly numbering your days, as Moses gives us in Psalm 90, then those two images you can see elsewhere in Scripture where where they they take a turn, and so yeah, maybe you get caught in the in the net like a fish, but it wasn't that long ago, at least in the three-year lectionary, where we heard the parable of Jesus, he catches things in a net and he separates the good and the bad. So on the right. last day, these things are made right. And the the image of the the bird that's caught in a snare, I think it's in Psalm 91, where there's the the snare of the fowler that we are protected from. So I mean, when when we have that right understanding of our own mortality, then we can put our mortality in the hands of the Lord and trust that he will take care of us even in this dependent limited state that we have here in this life. Yeah, I know I love uh, the book of Hebrews does that with Jesus, you know, during his days here on earth, he he cried out to his father with loud cries to him who was able to, able to save him from death and he was heard. Um, you know, th- I think that's a good call to wisdom too. And, and I love that idea, you know, when you realize your mortality, you bring that to God. Um, and that helps keep us from that pride and pompous arrogance too of, uh, you know, I am all-knowing. I, I do have all things in con- my control. And that, that's a terrible way to live because it ends up hurting people uh, and hurting God's creation and, and fooling ourselves too. Yeah. Now, as, as Solomon reflects on what he's just said in verses 11 and 12, then it looks like the rest of, of chapter 9 is kind of story time with King Solomon. <laughs> I don't know if it's a... I'm not sure if this is a parable. It sounds like it may be something that he actually did witness. Yeah. He gives it, it looks like he's given an example of what he's just talked about. Help us into this, again, story time with King Solomon here. Yeah. So, you know, he brings up this story of uh, there's a, a city and uh, life under the sun. And I, I, I do think this is a, something that's happened in Solomon's day, too. Um, a little city, there's very few people in it, and right, and then what comes a, a great king who, who lays siege to it, and you're thinking, this is it, right? This is the pe- they don't have the manpower, they don't have the equipment to last a siege here, but all of a sudden, right, as the great siege works are being laid against it, uh, there was found one of these few people in the city um, who was a poor, wise man, right? Someone you wouldn't expect. And he kind of comes to the rescue, and he delivers the city by his wisdom. Whatever that means, right? Was it uh, the person laid out terms and saved the life of everyone in the town? Um, You know, he he accepted some deal, or he somehow brought it about that it caused the enemy to leave? Um, You know, we're not told exactly how he delivers it, but that he does. And and this kind of helped me think, I'm like, what are examples in scripture do we have of this because you know the, the scriptures kind of play some of these theme, themes out and it reminded me of uh, later on in the scriptures king hezekiah um, when the army of assyria comes and and in that account right he lays siege and he tells him don't trust in your god right it, no one can deliver from my hand and and hezekiah we're told humbles himself he fears god and he goes into the temple, right, and he prays, and he, he lays out the scroll. Look at the, the blasphemies that they have uttered against you. And, and, uh, in, and you know, this poor, you know, though he's the king, right, though he, uh, he brings forward the, the cares and the worries of the remnant of Israel, and uh, God delivers him. Uh, so it could be something, even something like that, that, you know, Solomon just got done saying that the battle doesn't go to the strong. Um, right. Since God is the Lord over all, it could very well be that the, the enemy king here, heard a report in his home country and, and went back home and, and suffered death. Um, you know, so it's something like that could even be the case right. that God, through his circumstance of working things out, um, is able to bring about. Maybe that's why we don't know how he delivered the city, 
uh, because in some sense it could be almost miraculous in that sense, a time and chance, as it were. Yeah, um, yeah so yeah. Solomon kind of brings that out here. Sure, and I think, I mean, the, the example that he gives of this story, it, it works for, for both characters in the story. So on the one hand, the king, by all appearances, is going to take over this small city. He fails. And, and then the wise man, who actually is the one who delivers this, you know, this city, he should be recognized, and they should be hosting the victory parade, yeah. and he should be leading it, but everyone forgets him. So, I mean, on both counts, that time and chance happened to, to both the king and the, the rich, or the, the wise man. Yeah. You can think of uh, early on in the book of Esther, Mordecai saves the king and nothing is done for him. Uh, right? What, what kind of wisdom is that? Well, then the story plays out and actually does, it brings about a greater salvation in the end um, for the, the Jews and for Mordecai and Esther. Um, yeah, but, you know, the city being saved from fate, um, you know, we see this example over and over again. Uh, wisdom can change the odds of things, even if it's not, you know, even if you're not rewarded for it, even if you're not recognized. Uh, Solomon here, by the end of the story, would have us say, this is the better way to live. Um, even if it doesn't get you anything. So, because maybe we want to use wisdom as a tool to a better life, right? Oh, if I'm wise, that means I'll, I'll have success and I'll have power and prestige and things like that. And, and Solomon doesn't want us to use wisdom for our own gain. Um, he wants to see that wisdom is the correct way to live, regardless of the outcome and what happens to us if we use it. Um, it it yeah. is the, the correct way to live. Yeah, I mean, because he's, he's talked about even how wisdom and chasing after it in the wrong way is a matter of vanity, meaninglessness. And so, yeah, to, to use wisdom still, despite the fact that in his example, the wisdom didn't lead to any sort of glory for the poor man, yet wisdom remains that which is good and better than the might, even though it may be despised. That's because of the fear of God. Why, why wisdom? Because it comes from God and living in fear of him then seeks after what he wants, even, even when it may not seem that we get the results that we expect or that we want in this life. So with that, Solomon is going to continue talking about wisdom and why it is good and giving us wisdom in this text. We're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Belt this morning about Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 21st. We're studying Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 7 with Pastor Andrew Belt. He serves at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Pastor Belt, prior to the break, we went through story time with King Solomon. He gives us the example of the wise man who saves his small city from the great king, yet no one remembers the wise man. You mentioned Mordecai. During the break, you also mentioned to me Joseph. How, how does he? How's he an example of this wise man? Yeah, so you can think of Joseph in the book of Genesis, right? How he is sold by his brothers into Egypt. He's put in the prison, though he lives very well, right? He's a wise person who everything flourishes underneath him. He's a good Proverbs guy. And, and yet he suffers for it, and he's put in the prison. And then by his dreams, right, eventually brings him before Pharaoh, who has a dream, right? Talk about uh, time and chance here. God is enabling this to happen. And uh, Joseph is brought forward, and he saves all of Egypt, right? He ends up saving them from the famine, and in fact, it, it helps save the very people of the promise, uh, the children of Abraham. And uh, this, you know, this brings forward into what's going to happen throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But the book of Exodus picks up with the idea that, you know, after Joseph died and it, the children died and several generations later, uh, there arose a king in Egypt who did not remember Joseph. Uh, and that sets the stage then for the enslavement of the Israelites and then the greater good that God works out by the Exodus, which is a foreshadowing of the greater Exodus that Jesus accomplishes. So um, here we see, you know, that Joseph is forgotten, just like the poor wise man. Um, and yet we see how this results in God continuing to work out things as he sees fit. Hmm. So... Wisdom is better than folly. Wisdom is better than might, in verse 16, even when it doesn't yield the results that we want. As Solomon continues then into 9, 17, and, and into chapter 10, the book in its its structure and even in the sound, it starts to take on a, a very proverbial tone in the sense that it, it starts to sound like the book of Proverbs. So I'll just maybe we can take these kind of one at a time. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the saying of Jesus in the Gospels, what I say to you in secret, proclaim on the, the rooftops, right? That this stuff has to become publicly known. Um, but these verses might also suggest that even if wisdom is forgotten, it's still good to pursue, um, even if uh, it's said in quiet, um, even if it's something that's said among a few people, um, it's better than a, a ruler who's shouting among fools, right? So you can, it's almost like you can picture a, there's the king, he's sitting on his throne, and he's trying to get his advisors to listen, to you know, plot a course of action, and they're all doing their own thing. Uh, and so you can make, the king's trying to shout, like, hey, let's do this. Let, let's, you know, and, and everyone's kind of like, uh-huh. Um, they, don't, they don't see, they don't understand. And so wisdom that's heard and, and quiet, even though even though it might not be heard or, or given out to many and, and accepted, that's better than a ruler trying to shout among fools. Or uh, King David, when he, he acts like a crazy person um, in front of the king, and, 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 and I love the response of the king. He's like, don't I have enough crazy people in my, my presence? Then I have to have another one. And uh, <laughs> so I, I love that you know, example there, that uh, this, this helps us to see that wisdom is always better. Um, even if it's only heard among a few people, even if only a few people accept it and bring it forward, um, that is even better. Even though a king is trying in a powerful position, right? Might doesn't equal wisdom. Um, that, that, that's not as good as that. 
So yeah, there's, there's kind of that being spoken of here too, uh, that wisdom is something that we should always pursue no matter what. Uh, even doesn't make you famous, doesn't give you what you need. Even a few people hear it, still pursue it. Still better, still better. So wisdom then in verse 18 is also better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So something about wisdom, but then also a, uh, an attack against wisdom there as well. Yeah, um, perhaps a Garden of Eden imagery here. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that sticks out, you know, wisdom is better than weapons of war. We, we might say today, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Um, that, that would be probably a modern understanding, a little bit of that turn of a phrase. And, uh, you know, how much can calm heads that are trying to seek a peaceful resolution be a lot better than some hothead who decides to have a knee-jerk reaction and um, hurt and bring about war and devastation and, and things like that? Um, how, how better is it that a few, you know, even politicians get into a room and work things out um, than it would be for like a nuclear holocaust to happen, as it were? Um, that's the kind of thing. It, it, uh, much more lives will be spared. A, a better outcome will be given, even if it's not you know, perfect in some sense of the word. Um, wisdom is much better than that. Um, it makes you think, you know, biblical examples. It's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And uh, David has sought to get some resources from Nabal, whose name means fool. And uh, Nabal says, no, I'm not going to help you. And, and David gets upset by this, and he decides that he's going to go attack Nabal, destroy all of his stuff, and, you know, and, and cause, you know, devastation. Well, Abigail, his wife, uh, Nabal's wife, right, uh, sees this, and it's like, King David's going to come now, and he's going to lay waste to us. And so she runs out and humbles herself before King David and says, here's everything that you need. Um, please forgive my master. He's a fool, which is his namesake. And, uh, and King David, he recognizes this and says, you know, you've brought about much good. Here I was going to come and cause bloodshed, and you by your actions have spared your house. Um, so here is an example of that. Wisdom is better than weapons of war uh, because it delivers people where weapons of war, they don't, even if they win the day, uh, they still cause devastation and loss. Um, but wisdom can save lives. Hmm. But, but one sinner destroys much good. Yep. That's, so one, one sinner can have that kind of effect. Yep. That's uh, all it takes, right? Um, through Adam, the rebellion of Adam came much devastation, right? Uh, through one man came death, and much good was destroyed. Even though God has brought about a greater good now through our Lord Jesus Christ and is restoring and there's redemption, yet there is the fall. Much good has been lost, um, and Jesus Christ has the marks to prove it, as we were, uh, for our salvation. Um, we can We can imagine that this is a snatching defeat from the jaws of victory here, yeah. right? That one sinner destroys much good. It's almost kind of like the, a peaceful resolution is about to be achieved, and the guy comes in and, and ruins the whole thing um, and, and brings about the, the weapons of war regardless. Um, so that much good, right, we have to always guard against that. Um, it's easy for things to fall, uh, easy for things to be lost. And so wisdom is precarious, Right, uh, and that's something that we learn here too. It's it's fragile, uh, and that leads us once again to trust in God and not to, uh, you know, uh, f- trust in faith for faith's sake. Right, we don't trust in wisdom for wisdom's sake. Um, right, we trust in wisdom because it's a gift from God. We ultimately trust in Him to bring about a good outcome, um, yeah. and not just ourselves. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah, so trust in the one who gave the wisdom, 
because sometimes, as Solomon's been saying, it doesn't go the way you think it's going to in this life, even when you live according to that wisdom. So trust in the one who gave it to you in the first place. Wisdom yeah. is better. Now, this verse 10, verse 1, I love the image here <laughs> and, the, and the smell. Sometimes yeah, you have to—is right. it Pastor Wolfmuller? He likes to say you need to smell the text, so we need to smell <laughs> this text. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What's the image, and how does Solomon apply it? Yeah, so when you're making something, um, a perfume, when you're, uh, you know, if you're making like soap or you're making something that's wonderful, right? You got to keep it free from contaminants. And uh, you can almost imagine as someone's making the perfume before they seal it up, right? There's a fly that gets in it and it, it dies. And that the, the rotting body of the fly then kind of spoils the smell, gives it a musty smell. Uh, you know, just kind of, oh man, I wouldn't wear that. Um, and so here the image is that, you know, carrying over the, this wisdom, a lack of wisdom, uh, or one sinner who destroys much good here is that dead fly who goes into something that's really good and spoils it, um, making it stink. And what do you do with something that's been spoiled? You toss it out. You know, Jesus would say that what happens to salt that's lost its saltiness? Well, you toss it out and it's trampled underfoot. Um, you know, that's kind of using that same idea here. The dead flies make the perfume ointment give off a, a stench. Um, and so as Solomon goes on to say, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Or, you know, Jesus, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, as it were. Um, so be careful of the, the leaven of the Pharisees, he goes on to tell his people, yeah. right? To, to be careful because that little bit of um, leaven, a little bit of that, you know, false teaching, a little bit of diverting away from Christ, um, even if it has some of the trappings and outward signs of the wisdom still, uh, is lost. It's, uh, you know, the devil likes to corrupt and twist things, and he likes to put a, a false, you know, whitewashed tomb on it, right? So it looks good, uh, but it stinks. It's, there's a dead body inside. Um, you know, that's what's kind of getting on here, too. So a little folly outweighs a lot of wisdom and honor. Um, you know, or it could be, we could think of it this way, too. Um, it takes a long time to build a reputation, but it takes such a short time to tear it down. Yeah. Um, that's a little bit of what's going on here in, in 10 verse 1 there with that idea of the, as you, the smelling of the text, right? You, you hang around garbage, you smell like garbage. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take much. You know, like I can think of that one rotting potato in mm, the 10-pound oh, yeah. bag that you bought. You know, it just fills your whole pantry with the stench of that one rotting potato. It doesn't, yep. it's just that little bit that fills the whole thing. And, and as you said, the applications to that are numerous when it comes to the reputation. So the eighth commandment or the, the matter of true teaching, the second commandment, that, that little bit of folly destroys all kinds of wisdom. I mean, you can just apply that in, in all the commandments. There's very great wisdom there in that verse. And again, as you said, applying what's, what's right there at the end of chapter nine into the beginning of verse or in the beginning of chapter 10. So then into to verse 2 of chapter 10, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. What's Solomon mm -hmm. saying there? Yeah. One thought here that sticks out to me prior verse before I move into that one. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, you want to smell the text. Uh, yeah. The literal Hebrew there says, flies of death make the oil of a perfumer stink and bubble. <laughs> so oh, uh, if you yeah. want the image of it, you open up the perfume and it's just bubbling, it just stinks so bad. Yeah. And uh, that helps put a, a, quite a graphic image on that. So folly is like that, right? It just That's makes good. everything just foul. Yeah, um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the more we can picture the text like that, the better. Yeah. Yep, fantastic. So the listeners today, they can picture that now when they go put on some deodorant or something like that now today. You know, just ooh. But um, as we get into verse two, what I love the white the wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but the fool's heart to the left. Um, it, here the idea is a fool and a wise person. They are as far apart as the east is from the west. It's uh, you know, some uh, it. And it's not here, some will take this verse to say, you know, the, the right side or the left side here. And that's not what this verse is getting. It's just trying to get at the point that wise people and foolish people end up on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, as it were. Um, you know, the base argument there is to try to, you, you can't track on the path of the fool, and the fool will not come down on the path of wisdom. Uh, it's almost like they're set in their ways. Once they kind of go down that path, and if we understand the path of wisdom is the fear of God, um, if we will not fear the Lord, if we will not worship Him, if we will not honor Him, respect Him, uh, defer to Him um, as Lord, right? If we don't start there, then we're going to go down completely different paths. Um, you know, where we start will determine where we end up. And so if we don't begin on that path of wisdom, um, we're going to take the path of the fool. And it's it's... It's not like you can suddenly take an exit and get back on the path of the wise person here. They're already separated from the very get-go. Um, yeah. yeah, so it helps us start off well. We need to start well here, yeah. too. I mean, and, and in that sense, it's it's related to the image of verse 1. Just that one dead fly, look at mm. what it ends up doing to the whole batch of perfume. Starting down the path of folly, look where it leads as you continue down that path. It's a, it's a similar thought, really. So then Solomon's going to follow the path of the fool for a little while and see where it leads. That's verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. <laughs> and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, now what, is, what does that mean? Is he just <laughs> proclaiming, hey, I'm a fool, look at me? Uh, maybe. Um, that's how foolish he is. You know, uh, you know Solomon would say the, um, the fool will kind of, by his actions, by his speech, gives away. If you're silent, you know, people, you might give off the appearance of wisdom, but the moment you open your mouth, you... You give away all doubt. Um, you know, literally here, also in the way of when the fool's walking, his heart, mind, and willpower are lacking. That's kind of the sense here. His, um, even though everything is directed and, and pathed out for the fool, um, perhaps we could say he wouldn't be able to find water if he fell out of a canoe, as it were. His conduct, his, his manner of life, they give him away right away, right? You, you look at him, you know, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm doing the one-year lectionary in my congregation, and we just had the gospel reading this past week where um, Jesus says you will recognize the false teachers by their fruits, yeah. right? their conduct, their way of life. They might look like sheep. They might have uh, you know, the appearance of it all. But underneath, right, who they truly are is the false prophet, the, the fool, as it were. Um, and they'll, they'll just insist by their actions who they are. Um, so we should watch and learn from the wise. You know, one of the things I love in the book of Proverbs, um, kind of relating to all of this, is that the first uh, nine chapters of Proverbs, it's the, the speech of wisdom, and it's the speech of the Lady Folly. Mm-hmm. And, and both of them almost give the exact same speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both say, come unto me, right? Come to me, and you'll, you'll gain from me. And, but what we're told that Lady Wisdom has in her house life, but Lady Folly has death in her house. Um, and so there's this kind of like, it's hard on the surface to dis- disseminate from them. You know, it's hard to see if you're on the path of the wise or the path of the fool. Uh, but on the path of the fool, you'll recognize it by their fruits, their manner, their conduct of life. Um, so it gives them away. Or Jesus, the parable of the tares and the wheats, they grow up together. 
Um, and it's not until they're fully born that you recognize who they are. Um, and so here we're, we're told that how do we keep track and how do we know? Well, it's the fear of God, right? It's the wisdom of God. It, it's reliance upon him. It's for his guidance. It's trust. It's knowing his word, hearing that word, believing that word. Um, that will help cultivate us on the path of wisdom where the, the fool will not have that. So it'll become apparent as he's going on the way that he's a fool. Right. Um, but an, another verse here that actually sticks out to me as I was reading this was Isaiah chapter 35. You know, Isaiah kind of gets to the end of that first part of his prophecy. And as he comes to the end, he describes a highway. And, and it says that, you know, a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean, they shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Um, and so, the path that our Lord Jesus Christ gives to us, even if we're fools, right? It gives us a way of life. Um, and we shall never be lost even if we're fools on that. So if you're worried about like, oh no, um, I'm a, what if I am a fool? What if I'm on the wrong path? Well, Christ is the way. You know, he's the, the truth. He's the life. Um, and whoever puts their trust in him shall never be put to shame. Uh, and so even if you're a fool, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will deliver. And so I always kind of like that as we reflect upon this. I think one of the fears that we might have is that, well, what if I am that fool, right? I'm taking the advice here, but what if I am that guy that's uh, saying to everyone that I'm a fool? And, uh, well, putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will never be put to shame. Hmm. Now, as Solomon continues into verse 4, he brings up uh, rulers, and we've heard him talk about being in the presence of rulers previously. Hmm. In chapter 8, he, he dealt with this topic at, at a, bit of, a little bit of length. How does what? Why does he make the move here, or what does he? And what does he say? Yeah, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. That is, don't act like you're guilty, um, right? If, especially if you're innocent. Okay. So if you're someone who you're being, a, if the king's angry, right? And when the king's angry, anything can happen. Um, and if you decide to act rashly, if you uh, leave your position, if you you look guilty. And so what's the king going to assume? Well, he's guilty. We need to deal with that guy, even if you're not. And so the, the good thing to do in a moment when the ruler or someone who's in power over you is having a rather rash moment is to not do anything hasty. Um, it's to keep a level, calm head. And uh, here, right, uh, for calmness will lay a great offenses to rest. Um, going now back into the book of Esther, you know, uh, the king He's very upset. He's very infuriated to hear what Haman's plotting. And so he leaves. And what does Haman do? He gets up and he goes over to the queen. And, and when the king comes in, he, mis he it looks like Haman's trying to take advantage of Queen Esther. And so what does that do? You're out of here. You're, put him on the pole that he was going to have for Mordecai, right? And so if Haman would just perhaps have kept to his place and kept calm and cool, um, that end might not have been what would have happened to him. And so here we're to learn from this, right? And when we see something happening, when, you know, we're going, maybe it's the boss at work and he's kind of going into a tirade. Maybe it's, uh, you know, as we go through life, parents or anything else, what we should do in the moment is calm, right? Keep going, keep, uh, keep calm, carry on, as uh, that famous saying goes, right, from the, the wartime, um, is to never leave the presence of the king unless he says so. Um, so don't dismiss yourself too soon. Um, and, and never uh, or turn your back on the king, right? It's a very it's an offense to turn away and walk away from the king. He, he sees that as offensive, um, unless he says you you can depart. Um, yeah. 
So some wisdom applied there in the presence of a ruler, and then he's going to talk about from the perspective of ruler, an error, a lack of wisdom perhaps on the ruler's part or in the Mm. place of the ruler. And this really, I think, takes us through the rest of the text. He says in verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. What is Solomon getting at in these last couple of verses? Well, you know, and these verses are so interconnected that you can kind of matrix them to one another in, in almost different ways. Um, here, right, the, the ruler could be seen as that one sinner who destroys much good. And uh, so a great evil that he sees under in this life is when an, a ruler makes an error, right? It causes a lot of pain for everyone underneath it, right? If there's a bad decision made by the king, it's not just the king that suffers, it's everyone that the king serves will suffer too. Uh, and so Solomon notes there in verse 6, right, that we often, and we see it, uh, folly is set in many high places. The rich, they sit in low places. Uh, um, more in life that's just not fair. You know, how often do people are raised up into positions of honor and glory that they don't belong there? Um, and we know well enough that they shouldn't be in those positions of power. And, and often it's the people in life that pursue those things, that get those things that shouldn't be there. But it's the wise who know, I, I shouldn't want that. And they don't get it, um, even though they're the perfect people to be put into positions of high power. Um, it seems often that the fool is the one who gets there. Um, yeah, you know, fools don't consider the weight of responsibility, and they heedlessly charge ahead. And sadly, that means that everyone will suffer as a result. You know, the, the least qualified are given reign, and they rule, as it were. Um, yeah, and, and Solomon here, he continues to note, right, I've seen slaves on horses and, and princes walking on the ground like slaves, right? This uh, reversal, right? What we would expect not happening. Um, the slave is the one who has the position of honor, of power, and the one who should be ruling is, uh, you know, wasting energy, walking on the ground. Um, and from this, we learn how things often are in this world, right? It, that it's not fair, that, and that often it doesn't seem to matter, right? Uh, the vanity of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But the sooner that we come to accept that this is how life is under the sun, um, the happier one that we'll be, and also the trust that we'll then go to God in, we'll commend ourselves to Him, uh, and not to what we see around us under the sun. Um, you know, I, I love, as I was reflecting on this verse too, the, the book of Hebrews, uh, the hall of faith in that chapter, uh, chapter 11, right? And people, the book of Hebrews says the, the saints, he's describing all the saints, and he calls them the people whom the world wasn't worthy of. Um, you know, this causes us to look to the city, to the foundation that the builder is God, uh, that Hebrews tells us to, to look into. Um, and wisdom will prove right by those who hope in Christ, who is above the heavens, right? Jesus is above the sun, right? We are below, under the sun, but he who reigns, who is our brother, he's above the sun. He's above all these things. And so we look to him. So the, those who are wise, right, their children will be, their fruit will be proved right. Um, if not in this world, when Jesus comes again and he rewards those who put their trust in him. Um, so as we kind of look at this verse, as we kind of uh, we consider all of this, we see how things are in this world. It's not how it should be, for sure, very often. 
but it causes us then to not put our hope in this world. Uh, It has us put our hope and our trust in God, who can change the circumstances, who can turn the tables, who can uh, right wrongs in surprising ways. Mm. So draw that out a little bit more. We've got about two minutes here, and, and show us how then, in all that, this text points us to Christ. Yeah. As we look at uh, Christ, right, we might, as his enemies certainly did, um, he looks foolish, right? He looks weak. He's despised. Uh, we esteemed him not, as it were. Um, you know, the manner of his way of life, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't, he doesn't have riches. He doesn't have honor. He's a, a poor Galilean carpenter who lives in the first century backwater Judea. Um, and yet, he is Lord, Right? He was the one who is crucified, whom the Father has vindicated, who has raised up and has seated him above all names that are named, and so that at his name right, all knees shall bow. And when Jesus does come again in glory, he will set things right. Uh, so when Jesus is, is preaching in the um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5-7, through 7, right? He, what he's describing, he's describing life, he's describing those who live in his kingdom, but Jesus has given that kind of a, um, inauguration speech that this is how life is in his kingdom. This is how God treats his people. Um, he will reward those who put their faith in him, even if it doesn't look wise to the world, right? We're getting to 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3, right? The wisdom of the world. But yet God's foolishness is wiser than that. Um, and so this helps us put it in context and to trust in God. Mm. Pastor Andrew Belt is pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Marshfield, Wisconsin. He has been helping us today to study Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 through chapter 10, verse 7. Pastor Belt, thanks for being our guest today. It's been an honor. Thank you. The race is not to the swift, the battle's not to the strong, the bread's not to the wise, the riches not to the intelligent, favor not to those with knowledge, time and chance happen to them all in this life under the sun. Things do not always work out the way that we expect or intend, and yet we know that the one who is above the sun does reign over all as our good and gracious, crucified, risen, and ascended king working for our good. And when life works that way for us, we put our trust in him. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.